everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to PHLY Flyers. That's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. And joining me from 3,000 miles away is Philadelphia's number one beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, it's about, what, 7.30 a.m. on the West Coast and... You're you're looking good, my friend. You did your hair. You you don't look like uh, you don't look like I would look if we did the show at seven thirty a.m. Let's put it that way. Uh, how are well, you? How was your well, flight I, out there? I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the trip was long. Uh, got out there. You know what was I guess normal time last night in, in L.A. But for me, it was late last night, and uh, that's kind of what I'm rolling with right now. Is that even though it's 7:30 out there, I'm still running on East Coast time. For me, this is still 10:30 a.m., so I'm ready to go. That's why I like to hear Charlie ECFU. Uh, you gonna hit Disney while you're in Anaheim? <laughs> I highly doubt that, okay. but I, I'm, I'm I might hit the beach for a little bit. All right. So uh, so yesterday, um, I came in hot. I was I was very very this is very odd because you were up here on the screen but I'm trying to look into the camera so it does I'm trying anyone who if this becomes awkward for the viewers trust me it's awkward for you too or uh, for me too uh, <laughs> anyway so yesterday came in hot after the loss to the sharks the winless sharks the o ten and one sharks uh, they now have a win it was against the Flyers. And I was uh, I was displeased with the game, not bit. just that they lost, but the, just, the the overall gameplay. For the first forty minutes of the game, it really looked like the Flyers went in. Oh, this one. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh, <laughs> it really looked like the Flyers went in, and we're like, ah, oh, yeah, we got this. And as much as I want to believe they are an improved team, it's like y- you can't do that. You're still like, there's a reason you're rebuilding. I don't care how bad the Sharks are. Uh, you're not that. Good good either and they they got taught a valuable lesson uh that they're not that good i think i can put into words better why i was as mad about you know the rebuilding flyers losing the way they did yet uh on tuesday and like tying the management like we talked a lot about morgan frost we brought the asset management into it and everything because i think i i now understand why all those situations combined made me mad it's because you have to get so many things right for a rebuild to go well. Like when we were talking about Buffalo last week, I wanted to get more into it than we did, but we never really had the time. Um, they had 10 straight top 10 picks, including two ones and two twos. They're finally just now coming out of like the third version of their rebuild and they're a 500 team. Like, they may make the playoffs. That's where they are after 10 consecutive top 10 picks. And, like, yeah, the Jack Eichel stuff and some things didn't go you know, the way you want it. But you just have to get so many things right that when I see a situation where it's like, oh, maybe the coach isn't the right fit and maybe the GM and, like, the organization aren't handling an asset, even if it's a – not an A-plus asset, the, the, like a Morgan Frost. Like, you just have to get so many things right, and I worry that, you know, after the first 10 games of this season where I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't going to take as long as I thought, I just start thinking maybe it's going to take longer, and that saddens me, Charlie. And I really think that's where I was coming from yesterday. Did Like, does all that make sense to you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think honestly, even setting all that aside, I think it's perfectly rational to be extremely frustrated just in a vacuum, given the fact that they played against a team that not only was was 10 and one going into the game, not only was very close to breaking the record for most losses to start a season, but a team that all you really had to do was look at the roster and say to yourselves, this is a team that legitimately could be one of the worst of the last 20, 30 years. So even by itself, I think it's completely reasonable for fans to be livid about how that game went. But you make an interesting point about the difficulty of a rebuild. And look, I've made the case that if you execute a rebuild correctly, it doesn't have to take that long. And I point to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they were bad, really bad for a few years. You know, only a few. You know, you pick up William Nylander, you pick up Mitch Marner, you pick up Austin Matthews, and then boom, you're off to the races. Now, granted, they haven't won a cup, but I think it's very clear for the last four or five years that they have been one of the top five or six really good teams in the league. They're a perennial 100-point team. 
Yes, they, they are a team that when you are going into the playoffs, you think to yourself, if the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup, that would not shock me, well, just in terms of their talent. Yes, I but, mean, the logo, the Maple Leaf, that would shock me. Uh, but yes. a team comprised of the players that they have, no, that would not be shocking. Exactly. So I've made the case that a rebuild, if it's executed correctly, does not have to take that long. It doesn't have to be a 10-year process. However, there are a lot of rebuilds that do take that long because they were executed poorly. And it's funny that that they're playing the Ducks tonight. We're going to go into a little bit more detail about them uh, later in the show. But, But I think the Ducks are shaping up, right now at least, to be one of those teams that looks like they did it right and really, I think the the response I'll have to you, Bill, is that even though games like the Sharks game, where they lose to an awful team, they basically do not play well for the first 40 minutes, while in the moment, it seems like they matter a lot, what matters far more in terms of deciding whether a rebuild works or whether it doesn't are the draft picks. Like, that's what matters the most. Yes, culture matters. Yes, playing with structure matters. Yes, you know, not completely falling apart the way the Sabres did for half a decade and just being an abject joke for five, six years. Yeah, that matters. But what matters the most is, are you making the right picks with your top 10 picks, your top 15 picks that you have? And as much as a Sharks game can be infuriating, that matters a lot less than whether Mafe Mitchkov is a superstar or not. I'll tell you, Charlie, uh, like it was infuriating to me and I expected a lot more people to kind of feel the way I do. And like a lot of people are just like, of course, like, oh, this effing team, you know, but like (laughs) I I joked about it on Monday that I was just going to hedge it. Uh, I was going to make the emotional hedge and bet the sharks because like, of course, they're going to lose. Uh, I might be the only asshole who didn't. Like everyone I've talked to, <laughs> everybody over else the did. Last, over the last like day and a half, I go to uh, I go to PJ's in Haddon Township last night uh, for Ava's Quizzo, and the bartender there, like I talk to him every week. He just walk in, like, "What happened with your Flyers last night?" Like he's not a huge hockey guy. He goes. I heard that the Sharks didn't have a win, so I threw a couple bucks on them. Like, of course. And like, like, uh, my buddy Frankie, like, everyone I've talked to, bet the sh- I'm the only asshole who didn't. So maybe that's why I was so upset um, with the loss <laughs> as well. And yeah, you, d- you I, didn't have any money coming in to, yeah, uh, like, to soften the blow. I'm the one idiot who didn't bet the thing that apparently the entire world saw coming. Um, so yesterday we recorded the show at, at 10 a.m., Charlie. And I was very excited because I was like going to get home basically when all of the uh, the national hockey pods I listen to drop. So I was like, okay, cool. Right. That's how I'm going to spend my afternoon. I cannot wait to hear all these shows just roast the Flyers because that's the mood I'm in. I want to hear the national hockey media make fun of this team that I just ranted about for an hour. And I was... I guess it's it really shows you the bubble we can get stuck in when we're like so hyper focused on our team. Like we cover them the day to day where, you know, this is what we do. It's the Flyers. The show is called PHLY Flyers. Uh, I listened to What Chaos with uh, with Pete Blackburn and DJ Bean yesterday, an excellent all city show. Really been enjoying it since that dropped last week. And I listened to Puck Soup with uh, Mac and Doe and Lambert. And both shows, their main takeaway, and like they led with it, was, eh, yeah, the, the Sharks won, and basically the Flyers robbed us of the opportunity for a game tonight, which would be, and it's still 31 against 32, but it would have been the winless Sharks against the surprisingly terrible Edmonton Oilers. And like the national shitstorm that would be if, you know how we were talking about how it was such a dramatic game because, you know, it's every time the Sharks take a shot, it's like, is, is this it? Like, <laughs> imagine that, like, and if it's the Eagles playing, like if it was the Eagles right. against the apps, like the winless Lions or something, <laughs> like that's <laughs> what it would be if it was the Edmonton Oilers. And it's still going to be a shit show because if the Sharks beat the Oilers tonight, they will be tied in total points. Uh, that's right. A team that hadn't won oh, a game until this that. week, they would be tied. <laughs> it's still 31 against 32. But the national sentiment seems to be, Oh yeah, the fly like there's nothing interesting about this. The Flyers are meh, 
and they kind of robbed us of what would have been a crazy moment if the Sharks could have got that first win against the Oilers, a uh, a tire fire right now, and like that would set right. off you know a national firestorm basically in Western Canada. So I like that was disappointing to me, but it really shows like the kind of bubble that we're uh, that we can live in, I guess, or at least me, like in my head, the Flyers the only thing that matters, and it's like, no man, I know you think they're better, but perception wise, everyone knows they're no good. This is not shocking. Well, I, I also think part of it too is that. You know, especially like the two shows I'm going to talk about are the ones you mentioned, like obviously Pete and DJ, look, their show is called What Chaos? They want the outcome that is going to produce the most chaos and a rebuilding Flyers team losing to a really bad Sharks team is it's not chaos. It's honestly what you would expect the Sharks to finally break their winless streak. It's the kind of team you would expect them to win against because the Flyers aren't that good. So yeah, of course, the Sharks, if they get a really good goaltending performance and the bounces go their way, they can beat a team like the Flyers. Whereas if they were to beat a team like the Oilers, it would be goddamn hilarious. Now, the, the thing I'll say about the, the Lambert McAdoo show is both of those guys, and I know both of them are both good dudes, um, they're both a little bit more open um, to like advanced metrics in terms of how that, how that makes them evaluate the, uh, the quality of teams. And I think what their response maybe shows you is that like, I think they're, we're very much in the bubble. We're in the shit when it comes to the Flyers. But a lot of people going into the season, went into the season, I'm talking national observers, went into the season thinking the same thing we were, which is the Flyers are going to be awful, like awful with a capital A. And guys like McAdoo and Lambert are looking at the Flyers and they're saying, you know what? It's not that embarrassing because if anything, they're actually better than we thought because, yeah, the record isn't good, but it's not horrendous. It's just normal bad. And you you look at their underlying metrics and the Flyers are probably playing better than they should be. So they're willing to cut the Flyers a little bit of slack for losing to the Sharks because it's more like, hey, the Flyers have been overachieving so far and this loss of the sharks is just more of what we actually expected them to be going into the year yeah and it, it was basically that and it's like lambert watched the game it was like listen you, you see that third period and it's like the flyers are clearly better but yeah. that's what happens when you only show up for one period against like even the worst imaginable team <laughs> it's a 60 minute <laughs> game as we hear all the time uh charlie you haven't seen I, I i asked you this but just to you know to fill in our listeners like i wanted to get a uh a rundown maybe if you ran into some of your colleagues but you got in late last night you haven't you haven't been able to catch up with anybody in terms of like what the media mood was after the like what the vibe was after the, <laughs> the game. vibe so was we yeah. can we can wait for uh we can wait for after friday's game for that i guess uh we can talk about it on monday or whatever but i want to get into uh something we talked a bit about yesterday and it's the uh it's the coaching staff and specifically okay. Rocky Thompson, because if there is one area you can point to right now with this team, it's the power play. You can go, listen, I know they're bad. You know, the goaltending's whatever five on five. They're pretty good. The defense better than we expected. The penalty kill, you know, as many goals as the freaking power play. Like yeah, the, the penalty kill is actually yeah, good. It's, it's legitimately <laughs> pretty good. Uh, and you, you yeah. look at the power play and just go like, man, I know the personnel is bad, but like, there's no reason to be in the single digits like that seems almost hard to do. And we started saying like, listen, when he's, it's very rare for an assistant to get fired midway through the season. I do not believe this is the type of season in which <laughs> yeah, a exactly. team would even try to make that sort of change. Like, yeah, we said we're rebuilding and we're not going to fire a coach a month in like that's insane. <laughs> uh, but someone in the, uh, in the diehard discord, it's uh it's actually some guy named Chad is, is, is his handle Chad. In that, the that, diehard that's discord. appropriate. <laughs> yeah, like asked about Rocky Thompson and you made the, the comment on yesterday's show like he's not just the power play coach, you know, like that's not his only job. He coaches the forwards. And so it's a, a question of, all right, how are we seeing the forwards on this team progress? I think if, if he's like their specific coach, that's a fair question. And so I just want to like 
we we're kind of seeing the full spectrum of it, I guess. Like we've seen Noah Cates take a real big step last year. Joel Farabee this year gets stronger, looks like the old Joel Farabee. Owen Tippett, we see him take a big stride last year. Travis Konechny, you know, over the last what seventy. 172 games now he's got 40 goals like that's a pretty good total versus the frosts and allisons like how are you judging the development of the forward core like we can just go as a whole and then break it down by player in a minute yeah it, it's an interesting question and these are the types of questions and we've talked about this for years you know on our podcast where development is just such a nebulous thing to to analyze because it's it is actually impossible to truly determine whether a player would have gotten to a certain level with different development, or if that was just destined. If if Owen Tippett, under any coaching staff, was going to have a good season like he did last year, if if Travis Konechny, under any coaching staff, was just destined to score a bunch of goals and bounce back offensively, like we don't know. It's possible that this was just the perfect combination of coaches and teammates and atmosphere and environment that allowed those guys to take those big steps forward. Or it could be that you could have plopped him in San Jose and Travis Konechny would have scored 30 goals because that's just what he was going to do. We don't know. That said, I would say overarching wise, I would argue that on the forward side that Rocky Thompson over the last year and change has done a, a fine job developing players like I think Konechny is probably the biggest feather in his cap because think back to where we were with Travis Konechny going into last season he was coming off of two relatively disappointing seasons where it looked like the guy from 2019-2020 who appeared to be breaking out and developing into a legitimate borderline star NHL forward was now just a guy he had like forgotten how to score goals which was bizarre and last year, he takes a massive step forward. Now, how much of that was Rocky Thompson? How much of that was John Tortorella? How much of that was just Travis Konechny's internal drive to, to try to get better? There was there was a great story. I believe it was, uh, I think it was either Olivia or Gianna last year at the Inquirer. Um, great story about the work that Konechny did with actually Danny Briere before he became general manager. And Ian Anderson, the director of analytics for the Flyers, in terms of learning about... Um, where he should be taking the puck to shoot rather than staying on the outside trying to get into higher danger areas that probably played a role but at the very least i'll say that rocky thompson hasn't hurt travis connecting's development in my mind because if he was hurting it travis connecting probably wouldn't have gotten substantially better over the last year and change so if you're talking about the development of the forwards i would say on the whole at the very least he hasn't hurt the forwards now one could argue that the forwards could be developing even better if they were playing on a functional power play, and that's fair. But I would say on the whole, he's been fine developing the forwards. Yeah, I, uh, it's, I'm like looking at, again, like the full spectrum of the forwards, the young-ish guys, I guess, like Konechny being, you know, I guess we're not in the development stage, but just the adding elements to his game, which he did, and it seems right. to have taken him to another level, at least in terms of offensive production. Um, I want to start, I want to start with just, with Noah Cates. Um, okay. I, I'm looking at natural stat trick right now, and I think I'm seeing a 55% expected goals for percentage. So he's been, I guess, pretty good when he's on the ice. Uh, I guess I expected a little bit more of an offensive jump this season. That said, this team has really struggled to score goals lately. They did have the one five goal game in there, but they've also been shut out. They got one against the Sharks, a couple of twos in there. Like there's, there's a very nice 69 games remaining in this season. How nice. would you judge? Yeah, how would you judge uh, Noah Cates through? Uh, so, what would that be? Twelve, uh, thirteen games so far. Yeah, to me, I think Noah Cates is a work in progress, and and this actually, it's an interesting player to bring up because to me, Noah Cates, even though he's on the older side for a a young player, he's twenty four years old. This is just his second year in the NHL. To me, he is very much still being developed by a Rocky Thompson, by a John Tortorella, by the Flyers organization as a whole. Because to me, what Noah Cates showed last year is that if you tell Noah Cates to go on the ice and just focus on being the best defensive forward he can be, Noah Cates can do that, and he could do that real well. You, know, you looked at the underlying numbers he had at even strength last season. He was one of the top 
players in the in the league, top forwards in the league in terms of his impact on uh, on expected goal prevention. So we know he can do that. We know that that if you have to give up on trying to get him to to add more of an offensive flair to his game, you can just tell him, all right, Noah, you know what? Go back out there and just do what you did last year and everything will be fine. You'll be a useful NHL player and that'll be great. But what I think what they're trying to do this year is they're trying to encourage him to 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 just find a better balance. You know, rather than being 80-20 defense to offense, maybe be 60-40 defense to offense. And I think what you're seeing in the early stages of the season is Noah Cates trying to change up the way he plays a little bit to make him a more well-rounded player. Now, that's not necessarily going to happen overnight. And if you remember last season, you know, last season they asked Noah Cates to basically learn how to play center on the fly and it took him a while to get used to it like he came into the season and if i remember correctly through the first 40 or so games of the year he was more or less a break-even play driver and i think a lot of it was that he wasn't used to playing center it was a new thing he was learning the second half of the year he took off and by the end of the season he was solidly above 50 percent in in all of the the underlying metrics categories I'm willing to give Noah Cates some time to figure this out. And I think the Flyers are too, because I saw what he did last year. I saw that he learned a position on the fly as a rookie. I saw the offense come around as he got more comfortable at the center position over the course of the season. So I think what's going on with him right now is they are developing. They are trying to develop him into a better, more well-rounded player. Are we seeing it all yet? No, no, he's made mistakes. He's made mistakes defensively. The offensive impacts are better, but the points haven't shown up yet. But I'm willing to take a step back and say, let's reassess in December. Let's reassess in January, because I know that if they have to go to the, in case of emergency break glass option, he can go back to being just a really good defensive forward. But they want to try to get a little bit more out of him, and and I'm totally fine with that. And I always... I always think like the hardest thing to do is break a guy from like what got him there. Like I always like Sean Couturier and like a lot of it was just usage. Like, yeah, when your best line mate that you've ever had is Matt Reed, like, and I love Matt Reed, (laughs) but I'm just saying if he's the ceiling, it's like, uh, I don't think you're really putting him in position to succeed here, but yeah, but like Sean Couturier is asked to do this thing at 19 years old like just go be our shutdown center it's like well okay this is what got me to the show as a teenager this is who i am like i always think luke shen's uh development was really hurting that way and they they were like okay just be this it's like well there's other elements now don't worry about it just you're a teenager go do this and like then he got kind of stuck in that mold and before you know it he's played 200 nhl games and he is what he is like yeah uh, just Luke, just go hit people. (laughs) Is like this, like breaking him of what got him here last year and trying to push him a little for, I always think that's the hardest thing to do with a player is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see. And like, I mentioned in my column that essentially ripped the Flyers for continuing to scratch Morgan Frost. I mentioned that if you were comparing Morgan Frost's previous four games going into the San Jose game and Noah Cates' previous four games going into the San Jose game, I think it's undeniable that Morgan Frost had played better than Noah Cates did. They both scored zero points, but Noah Cates had two awful defensive zone turnovers that very much contributed to losses. Noah Cates was getting outshot and outchanced when he was on the ice. Morgan Frost had been better, but I made it clear that like, look, even though I'm making this case to point out that obviously guys are being held to different standards because towards things, one guy is definitely part of the future and he is skeptical of the other guy. That's not saying I want Noah Cates scratched. I want Noah Cates to play. I want Noah Cates to play through this. I'm just saying that it's abundantly clear that there's a little bit of a double standard here in terms of the way you're evaluating Cates versus the way you're evaluating Frost. But Noah Cates, I want him to play through this. He's struggling a little bit. And you know what? That's fine. He's in his second year, and he's struggling, I think, in large part because they're trying to get something new out of him. And I don't think that's the wrong way to develop, and you want to keep pushing these guys. If you want to build this team, and we'll go back to what we talked about at the start of the show about making this rebuild work. You want to make sure that you're trying to get the absolute most out of these young players. You don't want to just say, hey, you were a good NHL player last year. That's fine. Just stay that for the rest of your career. No, you want to push these guys to try to be better because every little bit more you get out of these young guys, that just means that you have to do a little bit less once you get the big guns to make this team a legitimate contender. 
Charlie is talking about uh, uh, this was like from a couple minutes ago this segue uh, you're talking about trying to strike that balance Charlie and uh, I think that is one of the most important things we're all looking for that balance and listen I think this time of year we could all use a little help making some better decisions There's football every Sunday tons of hockey games not to mention holiday parties coming up everything else going on this time of year I know I'm going to be taking in a lot of calories and specifically a lot of carbs Via beverage. Uh, <laughs> I'm told that's not the best choice for maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And that's where Hero Bread comes in. Hero makes sliced breads, buns, and tortillas that are available on Hero.co and Amazon. I've been making a ton of quesadillas with the tortillas, uh, but all of their products have hit the spot for me. This bread is soft, fluffy, and delicious. And right now, Hero Bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their for first order. Just go to Hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O dot C-O to save 10% today with code PHLY. Charlie, like the Cates, Cates is such an interesting, he's such an interesting pros, uh, project because like he is 24. They changed his position. They're putting him in this role. And I think it's gone fairly well. Like, yeah, a little more offensive pop would be nice. But if he can just be a shutdown center for the next however many years, like, congratulations, you hit on a mid-round pick. You've done it. Yeah. Way to go. Late round uh, pick, Joel really. Farabee, like Joel Faraby, we've been waiting to see really break out, kind of recapture the form we saw early on pre-injury. And he has. Uh, I've really liked what I've seen. He could have probably potted a few more goals than he has so far this year. Uh, but still, decent total. I think he's got six or seven. Uh, I really, I think Joel Faraby is a victory for the coaching staff. Like, it, it, he put in the work. He got bigger and stronger. He got healthy and all that. But they're trying to figure out what he is. And what he is seems to be quite possibly a dynamic player. Yeah, yeah. And Joel Farabee's interesting, again, because this goes back to, I think, what's very quickly becoming the theme of the show, which is what is development and what is inevitability? Like, was it inevitable that Joel Farabee was going to have this bounce back here, given the fact that he finally had a summer, whereas the previous summer he was recovering from neck surgery, so he had no ability to really put on weight and really work on much of anything. It was all about making sure that he could actually play hockey, not that he could improve on playing hockey. So maybe he was always going to take the step forward because I've always thought very highly of Joel Farabee's talent. You know, this, is, this was the guy who I wanted the Flyers to take back in his draft year i was a joel farabee guy he was the guy i pointed to and said hey if he if he slips to the flyer spot they need to take him because he's the classic example of a guy who is both high floor in that even if in the worst case scenario he's going to be a decent third line winger and he's high ceiling because in the best case scenario he's justin williams where he's scoring you 60 points a year while also producing some of the best underlying metrics in the league like that's a first line caliber winger maybe not a dynamic you know 90 point first line caliber caliber winger but in terms of overall value that's a first line caliber winger and what you're seeing this year i think is just he's he's turning i don't want to say he's definitely becoming that guy because it's early i just spent two days on twitter railing at vancouver canucks fans for saying that 12 games means all of their players are the best in hockey so i don't want to say that joel farabee is actually going to keep all of this up and be a near point per game guy be a 40-ish goal scorer who also has sterling underlying metrics but you are seeing in these first you know what is it 13 14 games they played so far you're seeing a little bit of what his potential ceiling could be a goal scoring play driving impact top six winger and it's exciting and you know yeah at the very least the coaching staff deserves credit because they didn't screw it up you know so far joel farabee is turning into the guy who in his draft year you're thinking that could be joel farabee at his best now joel farabee still has to keep it up for another 69 games nice, nice. but so far so good and the coaching staff deserves credit either for actively helping that to happen or at least not preventing it from happening charlie you know i'm so glad you brought up the canucks thing um listen man i don't know if you know this but thatcher demko's 983 save percentage on high danger chances that's sustainable <laughs> uh 
I, I've heard. I, I don't know what you're watching, but him just never allowing a goal. Uh, that's that's probably gonna that's probably gonna continue through an 82 game schedule. Just just throwing that out there. Uh, you know, you guys and your numbers. I, I feel like me and Va- I feel like me and Vancouver fans yesterday came to something of an uneasy detente because <laughs> w- once I posted the screenshots of the most ridiculous responses I had gotten over the last 24 hours, I think most of the fans were like, "Okay, yeah, that's a little much." Like, no, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are not the actual two best players in hockey, and you are not an idiot for not thinking that. And I think we've 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 gotten to the point now where we both acknowledge that maybe you know we can find a middle ground here. Charlie, you're going to have to apologize to Pedersen in person when the Flyers uh, when the Flyers offer sheet him and bring him in. When they offer sheet him, yeah. Uh, well, then sucks. you'll have to apologize. You have to it apologize to Canucks me. fans because they will be so mad at you. Oh God, <laughs> it sucks so bad that they're good because he's going to resign like probably next month or yeah. something, and we'll never, I'll never even get to to get the hashtag trending. Offer sheet Pedersen. Um, yeah, you, you you saw this as a real opportunity for a bit. Uh, it was really to build my own brand. That's what that's what it was all about. And I just listen. I I want offer sheets, and I want the Flyers to be the chaos team again. Like I, if we're throwing it back to the to the days of yore, you know, paying homage. The Flyers are the team that does crazy shit. Uh, an offer sheet is is nuts. They used to do it. I would like to see it again, but we're probably not even going to get the opportunity. Uh, so that's dead. Now I, I want to talk about Owen Tippett. Um, Last year, I think you would say definitely a victory for the coaching staff, whatever, if his production was inevitable, very nice season. And especially in the second half, it, it went from, oh, he's having a nice year to, ooh, this guy might have even yet another level to be unlocked where he could be a borderline star, you know, 40 goal score, something, uh, something along those lines. And he's been good this year, uh, needs to finish more of his chances, but we've both talked like through the summer I watched Owen Tippett in the second half last year like take over shifts and take over games and kind of impose his will I don't think I've seen that Owen Tippett thus far and yes 13 season or 13 games does not make a season but I, I, I just haven't I was hoping to see Tippett take another step and it looks as if at best he's stagnated I think that's fair and I think he's he's off to a little bit of a slow start. I, again, kind of like with Kate, I'm not going to bury him in the sense of, you know, it's it's not going to happen this year. That I know for sure it's not going to happen this year. The one thing that I am seeing this year, and it is, it's fascinating to me because, number one, I'm just not sure if he can keep it up. But number two, if he can keep it up, it, it speaks to potentially what is a – a tangible change he's making to his game. So looking at his his shooting totals, last year he averaged 9.45 shots on goal per 60 minutes at 5-on-5. This year that's up to 13.18. Last year he averaged about 17 shot attempts per 60 at 5-on-5. This year that's up to 28 shot attempts. So this is a guy who so far he's shooting the puck a ton. And... I don't know if he's trying to turn himself into a volume shooter. I don't know if this is just him getting frustrated because the goals aren't going in, so he's just blasting away from anywhere. But it's it's something interesting to keep an eye on because when you're through 10-plus games and you're seeing these trends hold for 10-plus games, you start to wonder if this is an actual change that player and team are trying to implement with a player. And so far, you're not seeing... like So far, you're not seeing the results necessarily. However... And this is something important. I think a lot of Owen Tippett's the the disappointment that we're that we have with Owen Tippett so far, a lot of that is driven by the fact that the power play has been so bad. Yeah. Because you look at his his production of five on five. So far, like last year, he had a 1.85 points per 60 rate. Okay. And that's good. That, that's like solid mid-tier second line level production. This year, despite the fact that he doesn't have a single secondary assist of five on five, he's up to 2.20. And that is now we're getting into like borderline first liner territory. So I don't think Tippett has been terrible. I think Tippett's trying something new. I think he's trying to be a little bit more of a heavy volume shooter. I'd like to see him take the puck to the net a little bit more, which I think the coaching staff would also like to see him do. But I do think that there's more good things going on below the surface with Tippett than I think a lot of people are maybe giving him credit for. 
That is very interesting, and I hadn't. I know he'd been ripping a lot of shots lately. Uh, that's it's obvious. You watch one period; it's like yeah. this dude shoots every time he gets the puck. And the volume shooting thing is cool. I definitely want to see him take the puck to the net more. I want to see him actually. But like watching when he shoots, my man might need a GPS to find the net. Like he is missing the net a lot. He is missing. And listen, a volume shooter, you're going to miss. I, I get it. Like we used to rip Jeff Carter for this. And at the end of the year, it was like, well, he had 46. So I don't know. <laughs> like only yeah. Ovechkin. Yeah, you know, like, uh, but dude, if you're going to be this guy, you can't be, you can't be ripping them off the glass every three attempts. Like it, it, you have to give yourself a chance. You know, I, I also, I don't want dudes hitting. I like, I was crushing them for just peppering, um, Mackenzie Blackwood like in the chest the other day like every shot just seemed to like the shark was eating the puck on his jersey like okay good that's not Damn. like in no way is this a dangerous shot I don't want that either but so many of these attempts have just been nowhere close like no you're not going to get a deflection you're not going to get a rebound this puck is just like in the corner and it's going to get broken yeah. out now yeah, I, I agree. And I think Konechny had a problem with that during his his struggle years after 2019, 2020, when it looked like he was breaking out into, you know, borderline star level territory. He had some struggles with with missing shots. And maybe part of it is the same problem that Konechny ran into, which is that Tippett's leaning a little bit too much on the quality of his shot, which is a really good shot. I mean, he can rip it, that dude. But Maybe he's leaning a little bit too much on the quality of the shot and taking a few too many shots from distance. And maybe I'm not saying every time because I actually like the fact that he's shooting more. I think when you have a plus shot like he does, yeah, like why not shoot? But maybe, you know, rather than take 10 shot attempts a game, maybe you take seven. And maybe three of those times that you did it, instead of shooting from distance, you try to carry the puck into the slot. And maybe two of those three times, it gets knocked away from you and you lose control of the puck. But maybe one of those times, you have a really, really dangerous scoring chance that you create because you lug the puck in deeper and maybe that ends up being a goal. In all my ranting and raving yesterday, I didn't even get to make the joke I wanted to. Um, this team loves to pass and the thing is they're fucking horrible at it. Uh, like, <laughs> kind of are, at least, I, I, listen, like Tyson Forster, yeah, I need to see him get a little closer to the net. Oh, and Tippett, I want to see you go to the net more, but I'm not going to argue with anyone shooting. Yeah, that, that is one thing. Like, I am so sick of watching this team pass. Um, you're not good at it. I'm sorry. You're not Jake. Yeah. You're not, you're not Jake. You're not G. Stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm envisioning like the the Twitter meme where it's like Bill Matz, Flyers fans in the Wells Fargo Center during the power play, and you're like shaking their hands, wants them to shoot more. <laughs> it's truly listen, it's, and I am like a guy if if I'm in a section with a couple of shoot people. And I just start getting frustrated. Like goalie plays puck behind net. I start screaming, shoot, just to like, just to be an ass. But I, I, this team, you, you, you an ass. I'm shocked. Yeah. You could, you, you could <laughs> shoot a little bit more, uh, given if the, if the question is pass or shoot, just shoot. Cause you probably aren't going to make the pass. Um, it's just, I, uh, I guess, I guess that's kind of it for like the forward conversation simply because like, okay, now we can look at, we can look at Morgan Frost and Wade Allison, but like, listen, of all we made of Wade Allison in the preseason, it doesn't appear as if things are going great in Lehigh. Morgan he Frost did finally score a goal. I did finally I guess, score a um, goal in the AHL. So that's good. I guess with Morgan Frost, <laughs> the question is after a after a loss to the fucking Sharks, uh, he's got to draw back in, right? You would think, right? <laughs> you would think that they'll find some sort of way. Look. I'm not even – look, I think Morgan Frost should be in the lineup. I think it's ridiculous that he's not played in over half the game so far. However, if you lose to the San Jose Sharks, a team that hadn't won a game so far this year, that was going for an NHL record of most, most losses to start the season, and there, there isn't some sort of punishment in the form of one or two guys who were in that lineup getting sad for the next game, then I don't know what you're building in terms of culture. Because, look, like that clearly was not an acceptable effort against a truly horrific team. Somebody got to sit. And if somebody got to sit, why not bring Morgan Frost back in? I really wonder, like, 
the who's it gonna be game is really fun like it's not gonna i mean it's gonna be paling but any number of dudes could uh could afford to be taken out of the lineup after what we saw in the last yeah. game that's all I, like I, and i'm not even advocating for any one specific like yeah noah cates hasn't been great but like what I want to take Cates out? No, he needs to play. We're trying to teach him. Like he's still learning a position he learned last year. We're trying to unlock another. Like it is. We're just. There's not a, a ton of great options, uh, which is what makes some of their summer moves uh, questionable to this point. But yeah. again, no one had any idea Bobby Brink was going to make the team. Um, you know, we're talking about we're talking about playing time. We're talking about game time, and it can be a stressful conversation about who's going to get into the games. But it should never be stressful for you because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. And redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Charlie, I don't know. If you if you get an extra day or two, maybe you catch a show out there. Use the uh use the old game time app. Maybe catch something hey, over uh, over at the forum or something. I, I don't even know what's yeah, in the, California. Or the, or, or the Greek. This. Yeah. Yeah. There, know, you go. In LA. there we go. Um I guess since we're uh <laughs> like I kind of brought up the idea of of lineup changes. Is it? You think it's definitely going to be uh, Arison? I. It seems like, based on what the reporting of some of the beats that have been out on this trip from the start um, have been saying on Twitter and in their articles, it seems like the possibility of of Carter Hart coming back in the lineup for a game this weekend is very much there. Like that okay. could happen. So to me, if you think there is a above fifty percent chance that Carter Hart is going to be ready to play either Friday or Saturday. I would say you kind of have to start Airson because you give Hart the extra day and you put yourself in position where you don't have to start Cal Peterson in either one of these games. Because like, if you start Airson in this game and then Hart can't go on Saturday, then sure. Then, okay, you use Peterson because you have to. But if you start Peterson on Friday with the assumption that Arison's going to go Saturday and then Hart does the the Adam Banks thing and the pain was gone on Saturday morning, then it was like, what was the point of starting Peterson? You could have just started the better goalie in Arison. So to me, if you think there's zero chance, if you think there's a good chance that Carter Hart is going to play in one of these two games, to me, the logical structure is you go Arison on Friday and then you hope like hell that Hart can play on Saturday so you don't have to see Cal Peterson again. I guess just the... Um... The only thing about it would be like the Ducks killed Urson last time. Like they and just, the Kings killed Peterson. Yeah, which is fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I will say though, after the loss to the Sharks, uh, if they play Cal Peterson the next sixty nine games in a row, I uh, I won't argue. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> embrace the tank, Charlie. Uh, now, oh man, Arison has been better, but I don't think anyone would say he's been especially good. One three and one in five Fair. starts, only one game with a sa with a save percentage above nine hundred. Do you see this as an issue? Is it just listen, small sample size? He's bringing, he's getting it together. Like, what are you seeing with him? Because I have by no means been impressed by Sam Arison this point to this point. I think he's getting it together. I think you've seen his play improve since he's been playing more regularly. Obviously, you know, the, the first game against Dallas, he struggled through the first two periods. He hadn't played in three weeks. I get it. Third period, he looked strong. Overtime, he looked strong. The Anaheim game was an absolute disaster. He looked awful. It just looked like a goalie who was really struggling with the uh, just the process of getting used to being a backup and only playing once a week, only playing once every two weeks. Since then, you know, he, he played in the Buffalo game after uh, after Hart goes down. 
he just didn't see a lot of work, whatever. He gives up a couple goals. But when you only see nine shots in 50 minutes, that's another pretty tough thing to do because you're just standing there. And then suddenly after you stand in there for 12 minutes, you get a shot and it's a high danger chance. I get it. That's tough. The second Buffalo game, I thought he was really good, but he had a really good game. And in San Jose, like, look, was he fantastic? No, because anything that wasn't going to be a shutout was going to piss people off because it's the San Jose Sharks. I don't think he was terrible. I thought he made some decent saves. I thought the Sharks had some quality chances. I I still trust Sam Harrison. I think Sam Harrison, if he's getting regular starts, is a perfectly fine NHL goalie. I'm worried about whether he can make the transition to being a perfectly fine NHL backup. I'm worried that he just might not have the mentality to be able to pull that off, to be able to provide solid starts if you're only going once every week and a half. But I think if he's getting regular starts, which he has been, I think he's a perfectly fine goalie. I'm expecting to see on Friday if he gets the start on Friday, which I suspect he will. It just makes sense. I'm expecting to see a much better Sam Harrison than we saw the last time he faced the Ducks a few weeks ago. And, you know, if he can't make the transition to being a backup, Charlie, you could always just make him the starter by trading Carter Hart and Morgan Frost for Leon Dreisaitl, you know? I mean, that sounds like a great plan. Take Why on, don't they do take, that, like, today? Yeah, take on that Jack Campbell contract, and boom, problem solved. Um, yeah, we're actually doing them a favor. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get that $5 million for the next four years off your books? We got we to gotta wait to do it, Edmonton. We have the cap space. We, we, you can have Morgan Frost, maybe a Wade Allison, too. Sign Robert Haig, throw him in in a third. You know, anything's possible. Um, Seems like a no-brainer to me. It really is. And you know what else is a no-brainer? It's shopping What's at FOCO. FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, and anything you need for game day. Or maybe you're in the uh, you're in the market for some accessories, toys, collectibles, or novelty items for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set. You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports and they have yours too. get the best gear around by using the link in the description of the show. And for all non presale items, use promo code PHLY. That's promo code PHLY for 10% off shop at FOCO today. It's better than the alternatives. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> I do want to like, I, because I brought up, I guess how a rebuild like Buffalo's can just go off the rails, like, you know, 10 straight years in the top 10 and they're a 500 team. I guess we should point out, point to a team that it hasn't really taken all that long for the ducks. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're seven, five and oh, they're holding down the first wild card spot. They're one point ahead of the Arizona coyotes in you know, a Western conference playoff picture that we all saw coming. I think like, again, I made <laughs> note of the Sabres, like basically three different eras of flyers hockey have gone by. Well, since the last time the Sabres have made the playoffs, but then there's Anaheim. Yes. They've finished outside the playoffs five straight years, but if you look at what they've been able to do in like a relatively short period of time, it's kind of impressive. Now, they, they knocked a fifth rounder out of the park all the way back in 2015 with Troy Terry. So, like, you always need that. You always need a couple yeah. of those. You got lucky picks. Uh, yeah, but just their, their last couple of drafts, 2019, Trevor Zegers, ninth overall. 2020, Jamie Drysdale, sixth overall. 2021, Mason McTavish, third. Uh, 2022, Pavel Minchikov, tenth. This year, Leo Carlson, second. They made some right calls, and now they're already in the mix out west after a year in which they looked like a um, like a disaster, basically. And again, like they're seven and five. It's they could easily be seven and ten in a couple of weeks and be like, yeah, we'll see. But it's uh, I think it showed like while I am worried that it's going to take ten years, there are examples of it can come along a lot faster than that. I would agree with that. And I actually think the uh, I think the Ducks are they're an interesting comparable for the Flyers because I think the Ducks in a lot of ways have a lot of similarities in terms of the fact that it took them some time. Like they had an accidental tank that turned into a rebuild because I don't think they like at the start, because you mentioned how they they've missed the playoffs the first five for the last five years. I don't think the first couple of those years they went into the season 
thinking they were going to miss the playoffs. Like they still had Ryan Getzlaff. They still had, you know, Hampus Lindholm. They still had Josh Manson. They were keep, they, they, they've kept John Gibson, but they kept John Gibson during years where John Gibson was still John Gibson. And they thought he was going to be a piece. Like he was a valuable piece and they could have gotten a ton for in a trade. And instead they're like, no, we're keeping you because we want to try to, you know, make the playoffs. We want to try to be a relevant team. And I think they, you know, they started to make the pivot. They, uh, they traded Lindholm. They trade at Manson. Like they've they've made moves over the last couple of years. And it does to me have some similarities to the Flyers, where the Flyers kind of had that in their heads that no, we can fix this. We'll be okay. And then somewhere in the middle, you know, after because I mean obviously Flyers fans know this, but they've missed the playoffs now for three straight years. Now it's year four of the missing the playoffs thing where the Flyers have finally accepted that we're rebuilding. And you look at the Ducks, it's only been the last couple of years, I think, when they fully admit it. This is a rebuild. This is what we're doing. And now in year six, after a couple years of fully committing to the idea of a rebuild of stockpiling assets, number one, they're taking advantage of the picks they made during the accidental part of the rebuild. And they're also taking advantage of the fact that over the last few years, they fully committed to it. And you're hoping, like, look, I am very much of the belief that the Flyers rebuild, regardless of what John Tortorella says, the Flyers rebuild starts this year because this is when they announce it. This is when the organizational philosophy is we are rebuilding. However, that doesn't mean that they can't take advantage of the fact that they accidentally lucked into Cutter Gauthier because they were bad when they thought they were going to be good. Like even though he was taken in a year that was accidental rebuild, he could still be part of the real rebuild when we look back and say, yes, they were stockpiling assets those years, even if they didn't, even if that wasn't the plan. They weren't planning to get the fifth overall pick. They just kind of fell ass backwards into it because they were a lot worse than they thought they were going to be. And I think the Flyers can look to the Ducks and say, you know, maybe we only need to be truly dedicating ourselves to a rebuild for a couple of years because we can tap into the players and the picks that we got when we were accidentally rebuilding. I, I just, <laughs> I know, like you said, regardless of, of what Tortorella said, but he has said, like, I thought of last year, like I looked at this team and I was like, this is, this is a rebuilding team. And I would just have loved to hear like John Tortorella's internal monologue, and it probably wasn't just internal. Uh, like when he sees like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think this is probably a rebuilding team. And it's like you, you gave up you gave up three picks for Tony D'Angelo. What, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what would you say you do? I, I would just love to hear. What were you like, doing there? <laughs> yeah, like what do you think he puts us over the top? Anyway, it's it's over. He's gone. I need to f focus on the here the, and now, not worry about the guy mistakes. who traded for him and signed him is yeah. also gone. Plenty, plenty <laughs> of mistakes ahead to, to, to worry about potentially don't need to look back on the, uh, on the past ones. Charlie, we uh, got only a few minutes left here. Um, just, do we have like, now you said Carter Hart, there's a real good chance he could play at some point this weekend. Signs might be pointing to Saturday. We will see how it all shakes out. Obviously, with the Friday, Saturday back to back, you know, game time isn't until tomorrow, so we'll find out. Um, anything at all on Risto? I, nothing really. He hasn't been skating. I, I'm obviously going to do some recon while I'm on this trip, you know, poke around, talk to some people, see if I can get any info. But honestly, no, you know, he, it seemed like he was real close that second week of the year. Then he suffered a setback and he's kind of been MIA since then. Now, look, I get it. I totally get that fans are having memories of the Cam Atkinson situation because it is strikingly similar where you have a player who leading up to the start of the regular season, oh, he's not going to miss that much time. He'll be fine. And then suddenly he just disappears. Now, I will also say, though, that Ristolainen himself last season had something similar where he didn't play the first couple of games and then he ultimately did come back and actually had a pretty good year. So I'm not ready to give up on him. However, the complete radio silence on the part of the organization in terms of talking about what his issue is, yeah, that's that's legitimately concerning, and it does raise some eyebrows and make you wonder if this is turning it is just quickly turning into another Cam Atkinson situation where they are checking with other doctors to see if surgery is needed, and then suddenly he's going to be out for the season. I think it's a legitimate worry. I uh, 
like I am not a person who cares that much about like injury status updates. Like I don't care about upper body, lower body. Fine. Like, don't tell me, you know, uh, when he's ready to play, he'll play. But transparency was a big part of the selling point of this new regime and the new era of orange, all that. And maybe they just don't know. And so like, they can't tell us something they personally don't know, you know? And like, yeah. it's not like you can just disclose people's medical information if they don't want you to. We, we've learned that over the last few years in sports. <laughs> uh, what, what Particularly is this, uh, Flyers fans. Yeah. But like, if I am a Flyers fan who was skeptical of, oh, yeah, it's a new era. We're going to be transparent and all that. And it is, as you said, radio silence on Rasmus Ristolainen. I am not like that doesn't fill me with confidence that these sorts of things aren't going to continue to happen down the line. Is that fair to say? I think that's reasonable. I, I think part of the reason why the Flyers have maybe been able to skate on this Risto thing for as many weeks as they have is because the people who, especially of the online variety, the people who tend to get the most angry about this sort of thing already aren't big Ristolainen fans. So like no, if they're this was not Joel really. Farabee, it would be a big fucking deal. Yes, exactly, exactly. But a lot of the people who yell the most about this stuff already didn't really want to see Ristolainen in the lineup anyway, so it's like whatever. But I do agree that that there is – I'm not going to call it hypocrisy because it's still early, but I, I do think that this is a situation where the Flyers could show their their commitment, their newfound commitment to transparency by giving fans at least a little bit of information on what the heck is up with Rest of Ristolainen. Uh, it would be nice to know. Like I keep, like I keep seeing stuff. Like, well, you know, they're in a spot where the defense isn't that healthy, and I'm like, what? Like Mark Stahl? Like I, I thought he was only going to play like ten games this year anyway. Like I legitimately keep forgetting about him, and then I have well, to. He's like, hurt. So like, I, so I, and, but it's it's funny actually. Like the weeks are going. Like he could be getting closer to a return. I would not be shocked if when this like big run of road trip ends, if he's maybe on the ice. Like I could see him starting to get to that point of his rehab because it has been a while. Like what he got hurt in, I think game three, game three, three or, or game four. It was four because it, it was against it was against Edmonton. So that was game four because it was him and Fogle went into the boards. So we're talking about, you know, I guess coming up on two and a half weeks, they gave him a four to six week timetable. So he's probably getting closer as long as, you know, and I'm not saying this to be ageist or anything, but as you get older, sometimes it takes you a bit longer to come back from injury. Like that's just a fact. So we'll see. It might be more on the longer end of that four to six week timetable. But if he's coming up on the four week timetable, maybe we'll see him on the ice soon enough. I feel I turned 35 in September and I jammed my toe this morning. I almost called out of the show. Like, Charlie, I guess if you want to do it by yourself, you can, but I don't Amazing. know. It's my driving foot. How am I even going to get there? Uh, I'm toughing it out for you, though, folks. Every one of you, uh, the PHLY fam, I'm here dedicated to you because that's the kind of guy I am. Uh, <laughs> Plays through the pain. Anyway, do, do we have anything else, Charlie? Is there anything that you think like requires discussion before tomorrow's show? No, I, I mean, I'll obviously be at a morning skate tomorrow, and then I will be covering the game in person at, a, I believe it's the Honda Center, I think is what it's still called. It's what it used to be called in Anaheim. Uh, so, yeah, so, uh, so definitely keep an eye out for uh, for that show. We're not going to be doing a post game because, quite frankly, it's going to be really, really late when the post game would happen, but we are going to be doing a normal show. So, uh, so keep an eye out for that tomorrow. Yes, please uh, join us tomorrow. I believe it's at... I want to say 4 or 4.30. I cannot remember which. Uh, but join us tomorrow in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, <laughs> for, it'll, be, uh, it'll be me and JP here in studio. I know I promised everybody Kelly Hinkle today. Uh, Kelly, as we all know, has a day job. And she was supposed to be work from home, which meant don't work and come do a podcast with Bill. And uh, she had to go to work. So she will be joining us next week. But I wasn't able to uh, talk her out of you know, quitting her job today. Uh, so it's just me and Charlie. But tomorrow, while Charlie is once again joining us from the California road trip, it'll be J.P. Zapata sitting next to me. All right. That is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button. Uh, PHLY Flyers, wherever there are podcasts, follow us on uh, on Twitter. There's a little underscore in there between the PHLY and Flyers. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube, set reminders so you know when we go live, all that good stuff. And make sure you go to allphly.com, become a diehard member because 
Charlie's got great content. And you don't want to miss any of it, goddammit. Like, you miss something, uh, you're behind. Uh, you're, just, you're just not as up on the flyers as you possibly could be, and I can't think of anything worse than that. All right, that'll do it for us. My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie O'Connor, have a great day, Philly. Thank you.